Over the past four or five years, I've seen more and more articles, especially say, oh, mid-October into the first of November, how to talk to your relatives at Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but before four or five years ago, I don't think I ever saw an article that was written quite like that. I mean, not in our family, of course, but everybody has, you know... Uncle Harold or Aunt Maud, who, you know, is just a little, got a little bit of a screw loose, we might say, or has some, has some interesting ideas that they might want to share around the Thanksgiving table. And everybody, you know, just sort of plays along and gets them another drink, you know? But it seems anyway, again, this is just a visceral thing. And as I hear people talking and as we hear it in the sort of the communal zeitgeist of the, of the world, it feels like that we are, even within our own families, divided. Lots of things that have happened, especially in our country, but in our world, have, have caused us in some ways, for some reason, to feel like we have taken sides that cannot be reconciled. And to the point that we feel like we can't even have a conversation with people who we grew up with about it, let alone our neighbor, let alone a co-worker, and for those of us who, who are people of the Christian faith, I want to say to you, this is not right. Because a house divided cannot stand. It doesn't mean we have to have the same ideas about things. It doesn't mean we have to be in lockstep and in unity. One of the gifts of the Presbyterian church is that we call elders and ordain elders to lead our community. And we don't say, well, you know, so-and-so, you're, you're 67 years old, and so you represent 67-year-olds in the congregation. What we say to those people is God has called you to be a leader in this community and you bring your heart, your soul, your spirit, your opinions, your beliefs but you bring them to a table in which we are unified around the mission of Christ for this community. So we have no other agenda other than the agenda of, of God. And so we have hard conversations. We dig into stuff very deeply and we disagree with one another. And generally what we try to do is we try to work things over and chew on things to such a point where we're able to come together and say, this is the way. And we become unified on that. Even if we might disagree a little bit about this or that, we become unified behind it and we come out. As Jennifer and I have tried to do with parenting, we come out as a unified force. Difficult to divide. Now, I don't know if you believe in a personified evil in the name of Satan, there are some people that do within the Christian world. There are some people that don't. Jesus talks here in this passage where he says it's recorded about it's like a personification of evil that is Satan. But Satan is the deceiver. And I would say Satan is the divider. And oftentimes that comes from inside of us, I think. 
because we want what we want and we want it now. I mean, Burger King had it right, you know? I want it my way. But that gets used, that sort of impetus and that, that evil divides us in such a way that then we cannot come together to do the will and the work of God. And I see as I'm preaching today, for those of you who can see, I can see I, when I was talking about being divided in your own family, I could see some heads nodding and how difficult that's been because Satan, if we want to personify evil, loves us to be divided, loves for us to argue amongst ourselves about things that perhaps don't matter. To not have converse, substantive conversations about things that do because we believe we're so divided about things. What's interesting in the first passage that Elder de Graff read was that the people, the people have decided that because the leadership, the priestly line is beginning to fail, that they want a king. They want to be like other kingdoms. And they think this is a great idea because, you know, having a king to lead us, to get us going in the right direction, that's going to be great. But God says, well, you know, really what you're doing is you're denying your trust in me. You think that this king is going to unify, this king is going to divide. Because when you give someone this kind of power, a human being this kind of power and authority over you, they're going to use it. I mean, just listen to this litany of things. I just, I think it's amazing. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to chariots and to be his horsemen, to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the ground and to reap the harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them in his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you'll cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And I love this because it's just indicative of human beings, right? But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, which was really the voice of God. No, no, no. We have determined to have a king so that we may also be like other nations or, in the case of America, I think sometimes, to be better than other nations, that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. And God, in God's way, allows the people to have their way. To make a division amongst themselves. To set aside the leadership that, that God had ordained and put in place. To set aside the leadership of the Lord in order to have an earthly king. They chose division. And... It was one of the downfalls of the kingdom of Israel. And so today, as I reflect on what it means to be 
the family of God. What it means to be the people of God. I find it interesting that Jesus in this passage goes, it feels like he goes against the teachings of his own religion because in the Ten Commandments it says what? Honor your father and mother. And they come to him and say, your, sis- your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. And he says, well, who are they? Now, he doesn't deny his family. He doesn't say, they aren't my family. But he knows they're coming because they aren't sure what's happening with them. But he says, the family that I'm choosing are those who do the will of God. Those who follow me into this mode and this way of the cross that is humble and self-sacrificing, that seeks the benefit of the neighbor and of the other to draw people together, to not allow us to be divided, not in lockstep, not in forced unity, not in quiet acquiescence to things that we don't agree with, but to seek to open our minds and our hearts to others and to other people for the benefit of all. And it is not an easy way. It is easy for houses to be divided, as we've seen recently. And I believe it is up to the house of God, those of us who call upon the name of Jesus Christ, to be uniters, to be rebuilders, to be those who would work for reconciliation. That is the ministry that we have been given. God has reconciled with us. We are to be those who reconcile with one another. And so may we put our hand to the plow of this good work. May we be the ones who dig the furrows and plant the seeds of hope, of reconciliation, of joy and love. And may we be those who are called repairers of the breach in the name of Christ. Amen.